Welcome to the Darling Girls Podcast, hosted by Jenny Lundstrom and Grace Fedorchak, two mid-20 single gals with a long-distance friendship and a passion for personal growth. Listen along as we chat about life, wellness, and everything in between, because we're all just on a journey to be our best selves. Stay darling. It's okay. On. Whatever. Okay. Well, let's jump right in. Um to the second part of our Brene Brown Atlas of the Heart book club. Yep. We're chatting about uh, chapters seven through 13. Mm -hmm. Same format as last time. We're just going to kind of pick our favorite word and maybe a favorite quote and maybe a fun story that we feel like telling for no reason other than the fact that we relate. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So let's jump right in. Do you want to, do you want to get the ball rolling? Yep, I'm going to read this one because it looks like I can uh, pronounce all these words. So (laughs) number seven, (laughs) places we go with others, uh, compassion, pity, empathy, sympathy, boundaries, and comparative suffering. Oh, you almost, you almost, you almost stumbled on that one. I almost did. I actually second attention while I was reading. (laughs) Yeah, I saw you. You were like. Ooh, I just told him I knew how to pronounce this. I just said I knew how to pronounce this. And then I stopped looking at what I was actually trying to read. Okay. So I chose the difference between sympathy and empathy. Good one. Um, 122. Okay. I need to skip. Hang on one second. I think that's on page 118. If you're wanting to. Well, I don't know. Because I wrote. The big blue quote. Oh, Oh, maybe. Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I liked, okay, in simple terms, the empathy, this is her words I'm reading. In simple terms, the empathy I'm talking about is understanding what someone is feeling, not feeling it for them. If someone is feeling lonely, empathy doesn't require us to feel lonely too, only to reach back into our own experience with loneliness so that we can understand and connect. I love that because I honestly never thought deeply into the difference between the two words and then I also love the blue quote on the other side this once again this book has really pretty quotes on the pages and so my eyes immediately just want to go to those anyways because they're really big and bold and yeah but it says we need to dispel the myth that empathy is walking in someone else's shoes rather than walking in your shoes I need to learn how to listen to the story you tell about what it's like in your shoes and believe you even when it doesn't match my experiences. Love that. It's so good. I love that so much. I think, yeah, I think people, um, I think people get that messed up a little bit. Like, well, you need to just be like put in my shoes, which is true. I think putting yourself mentally in someone else's shoes for a second can help you gain the perspective of, being more empathetic but I think yeah ultimately the goal is to like not even need to to do that in order to trust that someone's telling the truth because you're like not like I feel like if somebody asked me what empathy was I would probably say putting yourself in someone else's shoes like I feel like everyone says that yeah but what she's is that what sympathy is because you're not putting yourself in their shoes you're trying to understand that person their background, what they're going through and how they're feeling. So it has nothing to do with yeah. what you would do and you if you were in that situation. And sympathy is like, I feel like sorry for you. 
Yeah. Right? Like it's like kind of like like we we're over here and like oof, like thank God I'm not over there, but like we feel sorry for you. Right? I mean, yeah. So but then she says the empathy I'm talking about is understanding what someone is feeling, not feeling it for them. Like I always thought empathy would be feeling it for them. I think it is like, I th- well, I think what she's meaning is like to be empathetic, you don't necessarily have to like be experiencing the heartbreak as well, but you're right. I always thought it was too. I always thought it was essentially like feeling for that person, like with that person yeah. almost. That's interesting though. I mean, maybe that's like, maybe that's, I don't even know. Like I, now I'm so confused. I didn't really read. I still don't, I still don't know the difference. Okay. What did you choose? Okay. Yeah. But we understand hopefully. (laughs) I feel like, so it's basically saying like sympathy is, so she said sympathy and pity are first cousins. They're the emotions of We'll, we feel bad for you from way over here where the kind of misery you're experiencing doesn't happen. So that's what sympathy is. Sympathy's like, like, oh, I feel sorry for you over there. Yeah. And then empathy is the most powerful tool of compassion, emotion, an emotional skill that allows us to understand what someone is experiencing and reflect back that understanding. So like, I think empathy is essentially not like maybe just not feeling exactly what they're feeling like if you're going through heartbreak I'm not feeling your heartbreak I don't necessarily need to be heartbroken in order to like be able to comfort you but I have experienced heartbreak in the past and I am able to understand what you're feeling in that moment so I'm able to empathize with you better and I'm not saying oh you're heartbroken. That sucks. I've never been heartbroken. You know, so that's, that's what sympathy. sympathy is and empathy or, and sympathy is not, not that condescending. Sympathy is like, oh, I feel really bad for you. Like, isn't it kind of like annoying when you, when someone says like, oh, I feel like I pity you. I, I feel bad for you. That's, that's yeah, no one so, likes that. But empathy is, oh my gosh, I am so okay. So this is a good that. quote too. It says empathy is a tool of compassion. We can respond empathetically only did I say that right (laughs) yeah only if we are willing to be present to someone's pain if we're not willing to do that it's not real empathy so being present to the pain it's like actually sitting there almost like just being like like a good listener what's that word active listening well what's the word that we said like being a good friend not a shitty friend oh shaffron fraud shot and fruit and yeah, fruit or whatever yeah no you're right it's yeah it's like it's the act of listening and the the actually like actually paying attention and giving your attention to something and and being aware of it and like yeah so I think what yeah. she's meaning by you don't have to feel it for them is meaning like if you're in pain because you're you broke your arm or I broke my arm and or you're heartbroken I'm not heartbroken but I've been heartbroken I'm able to empathize you're reflecting you. back yeah and I believe you I believe you that it's hard that's horrible and you're heartbroken yeah. and it sucks but and I'm able to like give you you know my support there but I but I'm not feeling it personally I think that's it says communicating our understanding about the emotions sometimes yeah, this go. is elaborate and detailed and sometimes this is simply shit that's hard I get it yeah yeah Oh, I love that. Okay, cool. It's not not like fixing it. It's just um, feeling it together. So 
Uh, interesting. Well, I, they all, they all go together so well that, I mean, it's not that interesting that this, my word fits perfectly because <laughs> that's why they're together. But I picked boundaries, um, mostly because we've talked about boundaries on here before. I think everyone knows that boundaries are taught so hard, like for anyone. And I've been struggling with boundaries this year. And I think everyone in my life has been struggling with boundaries. I think even if you're really good at them, they, they're still really hard. And she kind of talks about that in this too. Like she'll even say like, yeah, I still struggle with setting boundaries. And she's a re- like a shame and vulnerability researcher and like knows how to like handle her emotions. But yet she still struggles, you know? So, um, but she says boundaries are a prerequisite for compassion and empathy we can't connect with someone unless we're clear about where we end and they begin. If there's no autonomy between people, then there's no compassion or empathy, just enmeshment. Enmeshment is something that my therapist is helping me with so much because basically you aren't going to be able to like empathize with people or have compassion for people if you're, if you're constantly resenting them which is why boundaries are so important. And it says boundaries are the distance by which I can love you and me simultaneously. And I feel like we've kind of talked about that too. Yes, 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 yes. So that, and then she also says the heart of compassion is really acceptance. The better we are at accepting ourselves and others, the more compassionate we become. Well, it's difficult to accept people when they are hurting us or taking advantage of us or walking all over us. This research has taught me that if we really want to practice compassion, we have to start by setting boundaries and holding people accountable for their behavior. And she says, no, I love that. And then she says, before I really understood how impossible it is to be compassionate to myself or others when people are taking advantage of me and when I'm prioritizing being liked over being free, I was much sweeter, but less authentic. Now I'm kinder and less judgmental but also firmer and more solid, occasionally salty. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people want to skirt over that uncomfortableness of setting boundaries because just because they don't want to hurt feelings or they don't want someone to be mad at them, but less authentic. Like you act like you're nice. Then you run into your room and scream into the pillow and pound on the pillows. Cause like you absolutely don't want to be doing something because you can't set a boundary. Like, and that's where that's not authentic. And that's where a lot of talking shit about people comes from is you are not you're not um you're not setting that boundary because if something if if usually when someone's talking shit about someone well a lot of times it could also stem from like being a bad person or jealousy or whatever but Mm -hmm. sometimes me when I find myself venting to my mom about something it's usually or my therapist like usually they'll ask me like well have you told them have you have you communicated that that bothers you and I'm like Oh, that's why you're so frustrated. It literally says clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Good one. I'm glad you chose that one. Yeah. This, this, uh, picture for the next chapter is so cute. It's a dog that chewed up a red couch and he looks so sad. I like never noticed that before. I didn't really look at it either. Um, Okay. So chapter eight places we go when we fall short shame self-compassion perfectionism guilt humiliation and embarrassment Woof. Ooh, deep one. One. 
Um, okay, so I chose guilt. You guilty um, You are the dog in the picture. You I feel am. guilty for tearing up the couch. I'm the dog in the picture, yeah. Um, so guilt is an emotion that we experience when we fall short of our own expectations or standards. However, with guilt, our focus is on having done something wrong and on doing something to set things right, like apologizing or changing a behavior. Um, and remorse is a subset of guilt. It's when we feel what, what we feel when we acknowledge that we have harmed another person and we feel bad about it and we want to atone for our behavior. Um, did you, what was your word that you chose? Mine was shame. Okay. So you probably should have gone first. Cause I think guilt is, is also an emotion. It, they're, they're similar, but so we'll talk about shame in a second, but it's interesting. She says, while shame is highly correlated with addiction, violence, aggression, depression, eating disorders, and bullying, Guilt is negatively correlated with these outcomes. So they kind of work hand in hand, but shame is shame as you're going to talk about is a little bit more like um, hidden. I think it says when we hear the word shame, we're going to talk about ours together because they're so immersed. When we hear the word shame, our first thought is either I have no idea what that means and I don't want to know, or I know exactly what that is and I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, damn, that's true. Yeah. So shame. Yeah. I mean, that makes so much sense when I read that and I'm like addiction, violence, aggression, depression, eating disorders, mm-hmm. bullying. Of Those are all things that people feel shame for all the time. It's the things that you're afraid to talk about and yeah. they have more power over you. It says the less we talk about it, the more control it has over us. Shame hates being spoken. Wow. Damn. I just listened to her TED talk that Jenny told me to listen to. And she talked about that a lot too, which was yeah. interesting. And so guilt is similar, but it's, it's very similar. It's because, you, you know, you're kind of disappointing yourself. Shame is a lot of like disappointment, I think, in yourself. Um, but you don't want to really acknowledge it. And then guilt is the feeling that kind of comes with it or after it a little bit, like, well, shoot, like, I feel guilty about that. So I should probably try and fix it or I should apologize. Yeah. Um, I think that's really interesting. So shame is, is one of her big ones too. So she, I think she has a lot of extra like podcasts and, um, probably other types. I know she's a Netflix special, but I don't think it's about shame, but she probably talks about it, but yeah, she, she talks about it a lot. So that's also something to check out. And, and another thing with shame too, that's, that's just unfortunate is the close, the, the, the faster that we can recognize shame that as what it is, which is shame. Like as soon as we can say, like, I am like, I'm ashamed of this, Mm -hmm. then I think that that's, the starting point for actually changing. Yeah. Um, and, and t- like talking about it and like, because it's just, yeah, you're not, you're not going to change, I guess. If oh, wait, listen, listen, I have to it. read this after you said that. Cause it was exactly what she said. It says, here's the definition of shame that emerged from my research. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. And it says, shame thrives on secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put shame into a petri dish and douse it with 
these three things, it will grow exponentially into every corner and crevice of our lives. And it says we all have it. It's universal. And it's the most primitive emotions that we experience. The only people who don't experience it are those who lack the capacity for empathy and human connection. So shame is murderers. It's like important. Yeah. Unless you're a sociopath. Yeah. Then you have, you have no shame. You're shameless. Like no one wants to be shameless. Like you want to have shame. No. Yeah. It's, it's so true. I think. But figure out what it is and like talk about it. Yeah. And, and we're getting, we're, we're lucky to be our age and, you know, younger, I think with our generation and younger generations, we're just only getting better at normalizing things, normalizing things, talking about things, bringing them to the surface, letting people know that like, we also, you know, everybody experiencing is it like, it's not just you. And then shame is a lot less prevalent, hopefully for people. It's still there, but Mm -hmm. easier to talk about. Awesome. All right, let's go. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Number nine. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm turning. (laughs) I like, I've never paid attention to these pictures. What is this one? Okay, this one, they're sitting on the beach. Look at his little mohawk. Or his little, like, his little pointy. He has a little tuft of hair. They look like they're in the desert. It's two people. Oh, yeah, you're right. That doesn't even look like a beach. It's two people in a desert or beach. And there's like water at the top. So maybe, but maybe that's a mirage. This is totally (laughs) Photoshop. It says places we go when we search for connection. See, they're searching for connection. Belonging, fitting in, connection, disconnection, insecurity, invisibility, and loneliness. And I chose belonging, which is probably the most positive one of the group. Um, <laughs> I think you're right. I was in a great mood. Page 155. The quote in big bold letters is we have to belong to ourselves as much as we need to belong to others. Any belonging that asks us to betray ourselves is not true belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Love that. There's a little picture of a pyramid with the hierarchy of needs, which is like related to belonging. And then it says true belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. I love that. That's kind of all I really wrote because I just kind of liked it. Like nothing more than that. Actually just being who you want to be saying what you want to say, obviously being nice and like kind, but yeah, it says our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Cause if, I mean, tech truly like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. If, if you're not fully 100 you don't think you're worthy of who you're like, like if you're like worthy to have amazing friends like Jenny then I'm not going to feel like I belong with her because I don't feel like I like belong in such a good friendship oh my god that yeah was so cute <laughs> that was um, you should you should make that the clip to our intro I should that was really cute that was really um cute. we yeah so like if you're 70 percent okay with yourself which you know is like probably a good average number <laughs> I'd say 70% is pretty good. Actually, if you're 70% okay. And like, uh, true to yourself, then, you know, your sense of belonging can only also be at 70%. So the more that we learn to accept ourselves, the better people you find because you attract people. Yeah. 
who are just as cool and authentic as you. Cool. Who, I where did you one. choose, Honey Bun? Um, I chose insecurity. Ooh, we went dark. Yeah, sorry guys, we went dark. But I thought this chapter or this section was really cool. Um, she starts it with we use the term insecure a lot. Uh, I'm do. feeling really insecure. They're acting so secure, insecure. He's super insecure. Do you think she fe- just feels insecure? Um, we normally use it to refer to self-doubt or a lack of confidence, but there's way more to it. And then she lays out three different types of insecurity, which I thought was really interesting. So the first one is do- domain specific insecurity. So this is like, I'm insecure about my money. Like I, I don't have security with my finances. I don't have security with my food or I don't feel safe here. You know, like the, the feeling of, of, um, danger can, can be really like an insecure feeling. Like physical insecurities. Yeah. Um, or if you're in an abusive relationship, that kind of thing, um, two, is a relationship or interpersonal insecurity. So that's when we like, don't have like a trusting relationship with someone. I don't think that needs to be, uh, further (laughs) explained. You don't trust your significant other. Yeah. Next. And you're just going to be insecure. Like that's why people, that is why relationships don't work so much of the time is because you're, there's no trust or Mm -hmm. you are not secure with, the third one yourself general or personal insecurity occurs when we are overly critical of our weaknesses so body image performance at work hair physical aspects of ourselves our personality maybe we're insecure about that um but she also goes on to say that you can also you can have high self-esteem but still be insecure isn't that weird i feel like that makes sense you can like so our self-esteem is an assessment of who we are and what we've accomplished um, compared to our values and our goals. Even with high self-esteem, we can still feel insecure if we're self-critical. I felt that because I was like, I think I have a really high sense of, um, I think I have really high self-esteem sometimes as far as like trusting myself with uh, my finances, trusting myself I mean, don't get me wrong. I still get insecure about those all the time, but, um, I trust myself and I've always been able to make decisions that have been the right decisions. And I've always, you know, I got good grades in school. So like, I do really feel secure in myself as like a decision maker, as, um, a good person, like I'm not making bad decisions, but I still get really insecure with, um, like the personal stuff, like the, the do did I leave like I'll leave a conversation like did I say the right thing did I talk too much did I listen enough did I ask enough questions were they looking at my zits I wish that I didn't have like this on my you know like so I still struggle a lot with the 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 other other ones but then I do feel like my my um what is it myself esteem is pretty good which I thought was interesting because your self-esteem is good, but you feel insecure my, my in other actually, aspects. Yeah. My therapist actually helped me with that too. She was like, you don't, cause I said like, I think I'm lacking confidence in this area. And she's like, okay, I just want you to make sh- to make sure you know that it's just in that area though. Like they, because you, you aren't a, you aren't an, an insecure person. You've, you make big decisions and you follow through. So 
an insecure person wouldn't do that. An insecure person wouldn't be moving across the country right now, you know, yeah. like, she's like, so you, you're, you're secure and thing. And so I thought that was really interesting. So I don't know. I think it's, and you know, it says they are, they also found that people who are more secure are more willing to be vulnerable with others. Yeah. Which is totally like you, like you're totally able Aww. to do that and like show like you your vulnerabilities too. which is like a big that's huge most people can't do that especially really insecure people are not vulnerable at all because they're just like in their own heads too much yeah I mean it's, yeah it's true and I think I think that's part of the reason why therapy is so good because I think a lot of people still can't get over the fact that like why therapy like how can talking possibly help because I, I, even I, who knows that therapy's helped me, who loves my therapist. I love my therapist. I love, I, I never, I don't like going to therapy and before it. I'm like, I have to talk. That's not going to help. And every time, every time it helps every single time. And I forget every time it's so weird. So, and when I talk to people and I'm and like, you do sometimes she's not following me and she's like, Oh, I just wish I didn't have to go on like with therapy. And I'm like, you sound yeah. like you need it. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like, it's so funny because with shame, with guilt, with insecurity, w- talking about all of them, making yourself vulnerable, even if it's just to your therapist who can never say anything to anyone is still a step in the right direction. So that's why I think people don't understand sometimes, but anyways, I'll get off my therapy soapbox. We can move on. Nice. Is it my turn to read? I don't. Yes. Okay. Is it chapter yeah. 10 places we go when the heart is open and Love. the picture. Oh, sorry. Cut oh you off yeah. No. Oh yeah. This is a good picture. This is a good picture. Where is it again? Where's this thing? It's a picture of that, that little fence that you put love lockets on Paris. Very cute. I want to go there and put a love locket and write darling. I, uh, during my study abroad trip, my mom and I took, when I ended my semester, we took a trip to Paris and I have a key to a lock that has my mom and dad's initials on it. Oh, that's cute. Okay, yeah. now read them. Sorry. But did you know that the bridge, actually the original bridge that you put these locks on, you cannot, they no longer will let anyone put a lock on it because it's gotten too heavy. So now it moved to a different bridge. <laughs> oh no, I didn't even know it was on a bridge. There's like knockoff bridges now that you can put your little thing on. But yeah, you can't do it on the actual bridge because it's too heavy. That's hilarious. I think they actually had to take some off because it was too heavy. Okay, so the emotions are- <laughs> Those people well. got a divorce. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, guys, to jinx you, but <laughs> this bridge is about to collapse. <laughs> and that would jinx everybody. So, you know, we got to sacrifice a few. <laughs> okay, so love, lovelessness, heartbreak, trust, self-trust, betrayal, defensiveness, flooding, and hurt. Ooh, this is a good Either one. of us pick flooding because I don't know what that is. I did not pick that and nor did I read it. We need to go back and read that one because I, now that I'm reading that, I'm like, what the frig is that? What did we don't don't need, we don't need to harp on that, you know? So I'm going to go, I think you should, well, I chose love and I know you. Okay. So you go first because mine's after you. Okay. And I chose heartbreak. So we are like, last time we were like the same wavelength and now we're on opposite wavelengths I know you're like negative I'm positive you're I'm positive you're negative yeah we yeah we did better this time not choosing the same ones okay so I chose love because I love love I love the idea of love um I think everyone does but 
Yeah, let's just let's just get into it. I think I'm just gonna read her big quote because I think that's probably the best. Um, we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable, there it is again, and powerful it. selves to be deeply seen and known. And we when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Love is not something we give or get. It is something that we nurture and grow a connection that can be cultivated between two people only when it exists within each one of them. We can love others only as much as we love ourselves. Shame, blame, disrespect, betrayal, and the withholding of affection damage the roots from which love grows. Love can survive these injuries only if they're acknowledged, healed, and rare. So I thought that was just so interesting. The, the, part where it says love is not something we give or get one of the things that she was saying too with like just shame disrespect and betrayal um you if if you're and we're gonna get to like more words down the line that can also affect bad like relationships badly but if you are feeling shame and you're not acknowledging that and you're kind of burying it, that's going to come out in any relationships that you have. If you have guilt, it's going to come out in any relationships that you have. Disrespect, all of the, like all of those things. So that's why working on ourselves is so important because it's going to be able to like have us, you know, build stronger relationships. Open, yeah. Be open and, and vulnerable and, and empathetic to people. It's always, it's only going to help our relationships. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, I feel like all of her words we're kind of leading up to this one because I think all the pot love is all the positive things and none of the negative things or it should be. I think sometimes it can be, but it's understanding all of the emotions though. Yeah. Love that. Um, well, I chose heartbreak and it says, um, it says I researched heartbreak when I was writing rising strong. Sorry, I have not read Rising Strong. I learned that heartbreak is more than just a painful type of disappointment or failure. It hurts in a different way because heartbreak is always connected to love and belonging. But that was kind of cute. And it says, heartbreak is what happens when love is lost, is one quote. And then the brokenhearted are the bravest among us because they dared to love. And I actually loved, I actually loved the love. Um, her example though, she was talking about how before she ever had a dog, somebody was saying on a plane next to her, like my dog just passed away. We had to put him down. I feel heartbroken. And I feel like I do say that all the time, but in the right context, like I feel heartbroken because when you love something and it's lost, you're heartbroken. So she said like, I don't think a dog is worth heartbreak. And then she ended up getting a dog. The dog gets older. You have to put the dog down. And it's the most like I mean, anybody who's had a dog and had to put a dog down understands like that type of heartbreak is incomparable. And it's exactly, I mean, it's the most, I mean, everyone can relate to it. Example is like my, is, I mean, I think, I think losing my dog was one of the more heart heartbroken moments of my life. And I agree with her because before I had a dog, I did not realize like the feeling you could have. And Mm -hmm. I think when my dog died, 
I realized that so many people don't know the feeling because you don't get the same reaction as if like a grandparents died or, and even when it comes to like heartbrokenness from that too, of like someone, a human in your life dying, if somebody hasn't experienced that yet, they're not going to have the proper empathy. It's they're just going to have sympathy. <laughs> Look at us tying <laughs> all our words back together. But yeah, no, that's a good example. That happened she to me. Put like yeah. God, she put God, this hurts and it's totally worth it. Like, you know, while it's happening, it was totally worth it because you got the chance yeah. to love so deeply. But then you, you have to experience the heartbreak. But like it yeah. goes along with love. Because you're well, bringing us love. That and much. that's like all the rom-coms too, where all the men are like too scared to actually love because they're actually just like scared to be heartbroken. And then the girl teaches them that it's, it, you gotta, it's worth it. You gotta love and just be vulnerable. And if you get heartbroken, you get heartbroken. She literally says heartbreak is unavoidable, unavoidable unless we choose not to love at all. And a lot of people just do that, which yep. is true. But honestly- not worth it. Like I'd rather just love no. feel the heartbreak and get the hell over it. <laughs> Literally being in love is so much fun. So much fun. Heartbreak really sucks, but you live in your That is really, really true though. It is. You gotta, you gotta know darkness to appreciate the light. Who are we? Yeah. <laughs> Look at us. These are our own quotes flowing out right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that's so good. Amazing. So I guess we can move on because that was kind of it. Um, episode 11, I almost said. Uh, <laughs> chapter 11. Okay. Places we go when life is good. And the picture is of a person with a very clear Apple watch on reaching for flowers. Yeah, that's it. Places we go when life is good. Joy, happiness, calm, contentment, gratitude, foreboding, joy. Oh, foreboding. <laughs> okay, all one section, foreboding, joy, relief, and tranquility. And I chose calm, which is on the first one. No, it's not. I thought you chose foreboding, joy. Well, see, I kind of chose both. I think. Yeah, because she wrote calm. I define calm as creating perspective and mindfulness while managing emotional reactivity. I liked this one because I feel like over the past five years of my life, I've worked really, really, really hard on remaining calm in situations that I used to literally not be able to remain calm. And I do think that mindfulness and meditation has really helped with this. Um, but my reaction to anger and other people's emotions is to- like, I'm 100% a different person than I used to be. And so that's why reading this, I was like, oh, I feel like I totally relate to this. And I didn't really know. I don't know. I'm just going to read actually, it. That's actually really interesting. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, like you're you're right. It makes sense. I feel like it's most people like when you're especially when you're like, I mean, when you're getting older, you're you have like hormonal changes and you're just especially when you're like a angry teenager, like the way that I am with my family now. And I feel like I've talked about that before, like versus how I used to be. You are really calm. You are really calm. Yeah. And so I've really learned to be like, I don't know, the person that I want to be in situations like that. Like I want to be the one who can calm down a situation versus escalate it. 
Yeah, you should read some of the the her little like um little bullet points or the numbers. So yeah, the numbers are what I wrote down because I this is what I loved about it. So she says, calm is an intention. Do we want to infect people with more anxiety or heal ourselves and the people around us with calm? That's amazing. Uh, number two, do we match the pace of anxiety or do we slow things down with breath and tone? And then three, do we have all the information we need to make a decision or form a response? What do we need to ask or learn? And then she goes, do I have enough information to freak out? The answer is normally no. Will freaking out help? The answer, the answer is, is always, always no. no. That's really interesting. Calm is an intention. You want to infect everyone with either more anxiety or heal everyone. That's like why I mean, you're that's a good kind boss. of how it is. That's why you're a good boss. Cause when you're working and like when bosses are super stressed and like pushing all that onto their, like, that's why I've left all my jobs. And like, I feel like you're a good boss because you're like, you, you have like, you are, you're calm. And then, you know, if something's stressful, you are calm and then it, it's less stressful for everybody else. But then also like, is freaking out going to help? No. And it always, literally, I, I, that's the biggest compliment ever. Cause I actually was told that by, um, my, one of the investors at the bar I used to work at and he like was watching me and like, that's a very stressful situation. And like in my head, even if I'm freaking the fuck out, like, holy shit, the money's wrong. This is going wrong. Someone just threw up. Someone's peeing outside. Like <laughs> someone just stole this. Someone has a gun. Yeah. And then I'm sitting there and I can look like the, the facade of what the outside world sees is like very calm. And he was like, you look so relaxed and chill. Like even when all of this is happening and I was like, no, I'm freaking out, but like, I'm not going to freak everybody else out just because I'm freaking yeah, out. Yeah. No, that's really, really good. Really cool. Thank you. We'll have to ask yeah. Allie if I'm a good boss. Maybe we'll bring her on here. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be like, no, she's actually freaking insane. <laughs> I just think you're calm and you're actually like a raging bitch. <laughs> she's actually literally the worst. Okay. What word did you choose? I chose contentment because I think that's what we, str- I, that's what I personally um, have not been feeling these days as a 24 year old, which is normal. Um, but I think contentment is just something that's so like, lovely to have I would love to be content and I think you know if people are content they're usually the happier of the bunch um so contentment is about satisfaction and that ironically is an unsatisfying idea for a lot of people um and so she goes on to say too that like we are not content as much anymore just as just how like boredom has kind of gone away with with social media I think um, contentment also has because the times when I delete my social media apps are usually the times where I'm the most content with what I have and what I'm doing in my life. When I have social media apps, I'm always seeing a sweater that I want. That's a hundred dollars or a workout set that I want. That's $200. And I'm like, always. And then that's where the stress for the finances comes in. Cause I'm like, I can't afford this, but I really want it. And I'm not content if I don't have it. And so Shocks about that a little bit, but she goes, based on a summary of data we collected and the existing research, I define contentment as the feeling of completeness, appreciation, and enoughness that we experience when our needs are satisfied. So it's just, I think that's something we should all strive for. I think being Being content content. is just a a really saying it makes you feel calm. Like, yeah, just a really satisfying. I like the first um, quote that she put from someone else too. Oh, 
when you are discontent, you always want more, more, more. Your desire can never be satisfied. But when you practice contentment, you can say to yourself, oh, yes, I already have everything that I really need. The Dalai Lama. Of course, <laughs> 14th <it's> a- Dalai Lama. <laughs> of course, it's a good quote. <laughs> so, yeah, no. And that that's something that I would love to uh, make like a random little resolution myself right now on this podcast to be more content because I have so many things. I have everything I need. I don't need anything else. Really, truly, I have <laughs> everything I need. And I can't stop laughing because why is there 14 dollars? Because when they when one dies, they replace it. It's like there's always gonna be a Dalai Lama. <laughs> My feet are sweating. I don't know why that was so funny. I didn't know that either, but I think I do. I think I did know that, but I the 14th Dalai Lama. It sounds like something I would make up. That's so good. Oh, that's true. That let's let's strive for more contentment. In- but that also comes through, like, literally, sometimes I'll look down at my tattoos and I'm like, oh, I want more tattoos, not content with my tattoos. And I'm yeah, like, I, I, I struggle with that 100%. I mean, yeah. I, I, we definitely all do, but especially lately, like, just get into these modes where I'm just like, I need yeah. more, I need more. I'm not happy anymore. And I always think I need like more clothes, more shoes, more. I don't know. I feel like it's not always just clothing, Something but I can't think of anything else at the moment. Something that really has helped me with um, contentment is a smoking a little pot sometimes, and <laughs> b uh, deleting social media. I really, 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 really think I, we should delete social media. But then again, I'm the mastermind behind the Darling Girls Instagram. So I know. I know. I'm too it's busy, hard. Too busy scrolling. But I'm very selective about social media. So I, but I do feel like I get into that. Like. I'm you're 100%. also in merchandising, which also sucks because you're constantly seeing shopping, stuff. shopping, 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 shopping all the time. Ask Allie from four okay. to five every day. I'm shopping every day. Okay. Number 12. Is it my turn to read or you? I don't remember. I think it's your wait. No, it's my oh. turn. Okay. Go places. We go when we feel wronged, anger, contempt, disgust, dehuman dehumanization hate and self-righteousness oh my god there's gorgeous disgust i felt Ugh. that i want there's to see, a gorgeous picture of a with you yeah it, it doesn't great. really match no it looks like an angry sunset like i feel disgusted and angry when i look at that sunset oh i don't yeah well you know what <laughs> you're not in the right vibe <laughs> I, for this chapter so <laughs> um what'd you choose oh you know what I did not you skip this one. I, so no, I did not choose a word and I, uh, went with your word because I didn't know anything about it. Okay, so I picked well, contempt. I kind of, okay. Well, good. Is that I what chose, you chose? Well, I chose anger. So that's perfect. Oh, so okay. Okay. So yeah, I picked contempt because I think you said that we should talk about it. Okay. Cause it, it has a good illustration that I like. Okay. So do you want to go first then? I think anger is the floor. Anger does go first. And I like what she has to say about anger. Um, I'll just read the first paragraph. I try to explain it in my own words, but like, why are we doing that? Yeah. If you look across the research, you learn that anger is an emotion that we feel when something gets in the way of a desired outcome or when we believe there's a violation of the way things should be. When we feel anger, we believe that someone or something else is to blame for the unfair or unjust situation and that something can be done to resolve the problem. Um, but what she says on the next page I really liked is that she has what I've anger, learned, unlearned, and can 
continue to learn about anger. Damn it. Damn it. Oh, that's a good. That's good. I love her. God, she's great. Um, it says that anger is usually masking other emotions. And that's true. Like yeah. uh, half the times when I say like, I am angry, like I'm pissed off. It usually means something else. Like it usually like once I calm down, I'm usually like, wow, like I'm really hurt. Well, that's interesting because if you, if you read that definition again, it goes, if you look across the research, you learn that anger is an emotion that we feel when something gets in the way of a desired outcome or when we believe there's a violation of the way things should be, which is how a lot of other emotions are. So if you're disappointed, it could come out as anger when you're, you know, sad, it could come out as anger when you are heartbroken. It could come out as anger when you're insecure. So that makes total sense. It says, um, the more data we collected, including interviews with more than 1500 therapists and counselors, the more certain I became that anger is a secondary or indicator emotion that can make, that can mask or make us unaware of other feelings that are out of reach in terms of language. And it's much easier to say I'm pissed off than I feel so betrayed and hurt. It's much easier to say I'm angry with myself than I'm disappointed with how I showed up. And I just, I mean, I 100% do that. And then I didn't realize it was wrong. That's another reason why reading this book is so important because now I can step back and realize, okay, there's other emotions happening that I need to address. It's not, I'm not always angry at myself. I'm usually just hiding it. Yeah. I love that. Love it. Um, And then yours kind of um, rolls into contentment. Yeah. So I, um, I, yeah. So for contempt, I didn't really know what that meant. I'm not going to lie. So this was very interesting to me and it made a lot of sense. So, um, contempt can really hurt again, relationships. So when someone, so when basically when you feel contempt meant towards someone, you're basically saying like, I am better than you and you are lesser than me. So This quote says, when someone is angry at you, you've still got traction with them. But when they display contempt, you've been dismissed. So there's basically four horsemen that come. They come and they murder your your marriage. The four horsemen. Um, And how to stop them with their antidotes. Yeah, there's criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. So criticism is basically attacking them. So basically saying like, why do you always make us late? Um, Defensiveness is like, victimizing yourself um that's the worst i hate when people do that and contempt is attacking your partner's sense of self with insulting or abusive language so basically like being like you're like i I, her example is i learned how to tell time when i was five when are you gonna ever learn and then stonewalling is um basically withdrawing completely and not and just avoiding the situation so contempt Um, attacking your sense of self yeah. So that's it's basically, like it's not, terrifying. yeah, it's like, it's different from criticizing in a way that's like almost, it's almost like you're, the emotions taken out of it. So if I say like, like you, you suck, <laughs> I'm angry and I'm, and, and you can tell that I still care because I'm angry and I'm like, you suck. But if I'm just like dismissing you and I'm like, hmm, I just don't think you're worth wait, very much. Wait, this is good. It says, the difference between contempt and criticism is that the intention to insult and psychologically abuse your partner is contempt. Damn. So you're not just saying like, you're ugly. 
you're saying like, my God, why don't you learn how to brush your tail, your hair? Yeah. And you're like, and you're basically making them like, yeah, feel just shitty. Why don't you learn how to brush your tail? Which is hard (laughs) to distinguish, to be completely honest. I was literally just going to say, because, well, it says I learned how to tell time when I was five. When are you ever going to learn? So you're not just saying it's like a suck. You're not saying you suck at time. You're saying I learned how to do it when I was five. Like you're saying it in a much angrier, hurtful way. Yeah, you're saying it in a yeah. I you're saying know. it in a I way. Feel like that's I like, need. Does she have other examples in here? I think that's where gaslighting also comes in, probably. I'm. Oh, it says I'm better than you. You're lesser than me. But she doesn't have any other examples. No, but so good though. We'll have to come yeah, up with more. Contempt. Now we know what it means, sort of. Yeah, but a contemptuous person is likely to experience feelings of low self-esteem, inadequacy, and shame. So that person is not a happy person. And if somebody's being that um, angry and mean to you, like they're probably not happy on the inside. So yeah. And that's where the not talking about things comes out too, right? So like they're not being very direct. They're not saying, hey, this bothers me. Let's try to find a solution. It's just attacking you. Mm hmm. Like and they don't think that. that they don't think that they're doing anything wrong either. The people that talk and want to talk about the issues and want to communicate and like take their part. Ooh, in and contempt makes political compromise and progress impossible. That's true. It's true. Because you're not Very even true. making any politicians sense could learn political. from this book. Yes. All right, let's let's move along to let's the next, do the next last one. one. Last one. Chapter 13. I feel like I'm passing hate, self-righteousness. Like, don't need you. (laughs) Next, next. Thank you, next. Okay, number 13. Places we go to self-assess. Oh, we love doing this. Pride. Oh, God. Hubris. Is it hubris? Okay, pride, Mm -hmm. hubris, and humility. Picture of a redheaded person. Don't know if it's a boy or girl. Laying in a field. Okay whatever <laughs> a redheaded person he, he, he person or she is, yeah. he or she is self-assessing in a field and i chose humility nice flip, flip um page 245 so humility is openness to new learning combined with a balance and accurate assessment of our contributions including our strengths imperfections and opportunities for growth um i liked this one because here, I'm going to read this to you before I explain myself. It says the term intellectual humility refers specifically to a willingness to consider insider information that doesn't fit with our current thinking. I think that's important because people don't do that these days. I don't think, I think people get really stuck in their ways. And I think people label themselves and refuse to look at other like like if I, if I say example, somebody who's like a vegan, they are vegan. They believe that veganism is the only way to be. They refuse to look at science and data that does not support what they believe. And I just don't. Think and vice I, versa. Yes. Yeah. So, it's, it's, it's really true with the politics too, but it's, she kind of says too, like, she goes, I'm here. This humility is I'm here to get it right. Not to be right. Yes, Which, I'm here to like, get it right let that sink in for a second, everybody. Yeah, and they are curious goes, and willing to adjust their beliefs when faced yeah. with new or conflicting information. Humility allows us to admit when we are wrong. We realize yeah. that getting it right is more important than needing to prove that we are right. 
Um, and it's the key to grounded confidence and healthy relationships because it's true. Don't be stuck in your ways. Look at other, I think that my personal example to this, like I find it very important to my personal growth and like my relationship with healthy eating and health and wellness is that the science is always changing. There are so many different ways to eat. Yes. I think that you have to do whatever works for you, but like in relation to like specific things that we think are super, super healthy right now, that might not be good for you. Like you need to be able to look at, I think scientists might be probably the most hum, humility, (laughs) humilitarian. (laughs) Yeah. Like what would that word? They're probably like scientists are probably the most, the people that are the best at that. If you, well, I don't know. I kind of disagree because I feel like a lot of them are looking through the studies that prove yeah like what is it called the confirmation bias like they're looking for what they want like if they're if somebody's writing a book it would take a lot for them to be like holy shit I'm finding all of this information that's totally not in alignment with what I'm writing this book about yeah and I think that that's so important that's true so hopefully hopefully scientists and doctors I'm a humilitarian all of them Yeah. yeah so true well, we should have ended with yours because mine's a little like What's depressing yours? and it's on the kind of opposite spectrum. Um, hubris, which I did not know what that meant. And it is uh, in the same grouping as narcissism, folks. Hubris is an inflated sense of one's own innate abilities that is tied more to the need for dominance than to actual accomplishments. So basically um she does talk about narcissism a little bit in this um so she said hubris is positively correlated with narcissism um in her book daring greatly she writes about how everything from facebook and influencer culture to the increasingly insane behavior of politicians has pushed the term narcissism isn't into the zygist i don't know what that means um and narcissism is shame-based. So she defines narcissism as the shame-based fear of being ordinary, which is very interesting because I've never thought of narcissism at, in that way. It says it's negatively correlated with self-esteem and positively correlated with narcissism. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's crazy. They're just like, just deeply, deeply ashamed, deeply insecure. And- yeah so control people she also yeah like the whole section on this is just so cool so everyone should just go get this book and read it because it's so good narcissism Um, based fear of being ordinary wow okay yeah that was a very sad note to end yeah sorry everybody but no she she talks about it she just she also her writing style she's funny she tells personal stories she tells um you know, gives credit where credit's due. If someone has a good idea or has done research previously, she always calls them out. She has great quotes from other people. She has great quotes from herself. So, and, and the crazy thing is that she, she spends so much time with these definitions. So the bolded definitions in the book she has taken and, and tested. So like, if any part of that phrase or definition isn't true or didn't work, she would have known because she tests with people. She t- like she just does the research on it, and it's 
it makes it like, I don't think I could write a definition for a word ever. It would be so hard. So anyways, I just think she's so Well, that's cool. why each one, like we didn't, we couldn't, you can't explain it because you have no. to. That's why we wanted to do this because there's no other way to explain this book other than reading it, but to kind of pick a word and just read her quotes because you immediately learn something and you can take away a little bit more knowledge about our emotions because yeah. we learned a ton. I, and I think you can use it as like a, almost like a index or whatever through life. If you're, you know, I don't think you have to read it all at once. I think you can go in and in literally it says places we go when we yeah. feel. And then sometimes you're like, I don't know what I feel. Let me go look. Mm-hmm. So it's, and then if you think you're in the realm of like sadness then you can see other ones around it. So you might not actually be sad. You might be feeling something else or like. You might not be angry. You might be disappointed in yourself. Yeah. So it's very interesting and I love it. And I think everyone should read it because I think it'll be really helpful for everybody. And And let us know if you learned something from this because we would love to hear from you and hear what you liked, what you learned. If you're going to go pick up the book, message us. We um, are excited that you're still here if you're still listening and thank you yeah, for you tuning know. in. Alrighty, everybody. Have a great, fantastic, wonderful, lovely week and we, we will see you next week. See you next time. Bye, darlings. Thank you for listening to the Darling Girls podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Also, you can keep up with us on Instagram at Pod. See you next time.